you need to do what you your what you tell your clients to do and you need to not be afraid and you need to turn clients away who want the things that you think are the bread and butter of your business writing the resumes pays the bills right you need to be brave so i started doing the brave thing and turning business away Successful brands are rooted in purpose and driven by the potential to make a positive impact on their customers. Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose with Amy Austin. Each week, Amy brings you practical advice to embrace the power of purpose in all aspects of your business and transform it into the central storyline for your branding and marketing strategies. Welcome to The Pursuit of Purpose. My guest today is Kristen Sherry. And we're giggling a little bit in the background because I had just messed up her name the first time we tried to record this. But Kristen is the author and founder of UMAPS, which is a very interesting assessment on four career pillars that help us gain some clarity about what we're really good at and how to be able to leverage those. And so I'm going to ask Kristen now to just tell us a little bit about herself and UMAPS, and then we'll dive into our conversation. Thank you, Amy. So I'm very straightforward to introduce because I only do two things. (laughs) So I uh, created an assessment called UMAP, and as you already mentioned, it uncovers people's strengths, values, preferred skills, and personality. And so I train HR people, coaches, consultants, managers, leaders. Uh, I certify them to be UMAP consultants or UMAP coaches. So I do that and I write books full time. And the books are always around personal and professional development. I write them for both adults and children. So the children's books are really rooted in self-awareness and discovering who you are. So those are the two things I do. I think helping children find that self-awareness and who they are is so important. And it's something I wish, I wish that I would have had that benefit when I was, was that age, because I think it would have, I don't know that it would have necessarily changed what I do, but I think it may have helped me find what I do well sooner. Yeah, it, it does set up the sort of the trajectory of your life a little better because you have a sense of self because we really don't know who we are. Uh, Some people still don't know who they are even in their forties. But the thing that it really does is it helps socialize children to the idea of looking at what's right with them because it's natural for people to look at what's wrong with them and to compare themselves to other people and to have shame and embarrassment about things uh, about themselves. And also we tend to hear feedback that's negative more often. You know, you you talk too much, you're too nosy, you're too bossy. Uh, people who are trying to, most people, I should say, are have our best interests in heart when they're trying to give us correction because they want us to be well-adjusted, uh, successful adults someday. So they correct us. But in that process, they end up putting our weaknesses under a magnifying glass. And so we spend the majority of our life focusing on our weaknesses. So what really happens is when we socialize children to what's right with them, we end up building confidence through self-awareness. I'm just, I'm thinking about that as it relates to, I have a 14 year old and how I talk with her and when I give feedback, am I giving feedback that is don't do this as opposed to playing up her strengths 
and redirecting what she just did that I don't want her to do into mm -hmm. something that is more positive and plays to her strengths. My mother used to say to me when I was a, uh, a younger, like teen uh, and into adulthood, she would say, behavior that gets rewarded gets repeated. And that always stuck with me uh, because I think when I first became a parent, I had the same thing. Like, don't do this, don't do that. That's not nice. You need to share. Like I was always correcting the behavior I didn't want. But my mother's advice, behavior that gets rewarded gets repeated is really true because I find myself now saying, I'm really proud of you that you shared your dolly with that girl at the park, or that was really amazing of you to stand up for that person or to be kind or whatever, whatever it is that my child has done that they told me or I observed. I think because we expect them to behave a certain way that we don't reward it because like, why would we reward it? Because it's, it's an expectation, but we forget that people do repeat behavior that gets rewarded. Right. So Kristen, what was it, what was it that, that brought you to this path of creating an assessment like UMAPS? Because when I first learned about it, I frankly was overwhelmed by the thought of how, how do you come up with this? What was the, <laughs> I mean, cause it is so robust. It, it reminds me of, you know, the strength finders assessments and all of those. And they're just, they, they seem so, they're so beneficial, but yet so overwhelming in terms of when I start to break down. So how did this come to be? Mm. Tell me a little bit about your journey to get this started. What, what was the tipping point that made you realize you were onto something with UMAPs? Well, so it's interesting because I didn't, I didn't say, okay, I'm going to create UMAP. And I didn't even know what it was called when I created it either. And I didn't say, I'm going to do this. And I didn't set out to do it. It was an, sort of an accidental pursuit. But I've always been interested in assessments. I started getting into assessments, believe it or not, 30 years ago. I was 19 years old the first time I took an assessment. And my mother is an executive coach. So she was the one that administered it. And she coached me on it and gave me these insights that just blew my mind. And so I started doing assessments, more assessments. At first, I just started becoming an assessment junkie and taking assessments. But I just sort of had a knack for it because I have a strength called input where I'm good at retaining facts and figures and information. So I could expose myself to a lot of assessments and speak to them even if I hadn't worked with them a long time, I came across like I was really knowledgeable about them just because I could retain so much information and then strategically put it together to explain it to people. So I started to get asked to speak about assessments. Um, and I spoke uh, at the Career Thought Leaders uh, Symposium in Denver about assessments for, to HR people and coaches and consultants on how to use them in your practice, how to determine the right one to use. And then I started using them in the workplace. Well, that was before I spoke on them. I started using them in the workplace as a manager. I would give them to my team. I would create my own custom workshops throughout my career. Even when I was a programmer, I was getting the manager to let me do assessments with our team and debrief people in our team meetings and leverage that information. And I really was just a junkie on assessments. But then what happened was I started to actually have that be part of my job. I moved into learning and development. So I got certified in 2007 as a career coach. 
by my company. And then I got certified by my company as an executive coach. And so I was coaching people in the organization and I'm using other people's tools. But I started to notice a few things. Number one was some people really hated being put in a box. Like, well, you're telling, you're putting this label on me, like I'm a C or I'm a D or I'm this. And it's like, no, it's not true that I don't like being around people because the C's would say, and no, it's not true that I'm bossy and dictatorial. And some of the language in the assessments would really put people off. So they resented being put in a box and they resented some of the negative language around that. And I noticed as a practitioner, I started to make assumptions about people. Oh, you're a C, so this is gonna mean this. But I kept hearing from people all these exceptions that they weren't like that pattern. And I thought, huh, there's a limitation here. We're, we're, we're putting people in boxes and we're using negative language. So I started to research where assessments came from. And they were first used by the, the US military in terms of using them in practice to weed out undesirables, people who might be subject to get PTSD and things like this. And then companies got wind of them and said, oh, we can weed out undesirable employees. So there's this negative history of assessments. And so no wonder people have this reaction because the language was largely negative because you're trying to weed out quote unquote undesirables. So I thought to myself, when I found the, the Clifton Strengths Assessment by Gallup, the language was so positive and it focused on what was right with people. And I thought, I really like that because what is the point if you're trying to help people transition careers or if you're trying to help people discover why they're unfulfilled in their life? What's the point of just beating, over, beating them over the head about all the things that are wrong with them? That doesn't motivate people. So I really liked that assessment and I started using it in 2004. And then I started to realize there's a lot more about people. They're complex, they're nuanced. This doesn't tell me the full picture. So I went on the pursuit to find a holistic, easy to interpret, actionable assessment that would do that for me. And so I started going into coach forums, asking the question. But the problem was everyone else was asking that question too. So when I realized that it didn't really exist, I mean, there are assessments that will maybe tell you three things about a person, but they're 38 pages long and th they require a, a huge debrief to even understand them, to interpret them because they're written by researchers, right? Mm -hmm. So I thought, I just need something for my own clients. I wasn't looking to, to create anything for everyone else, but when I created it and people started to see it and clients started showing it to people, my phone started ringing with HR people, recruiters. Where did you get this? How can I use this? This is what I've been looking for. And I was completely blindsided. So I thought, well, I want to share this, but I can't just give it to people and not know how to use it appropriately. I better create a training. And that's the rest is history. Wow. You're so right. As you were saying that about how assessments are written more negatively, I was reflecting back on different assessments that I've taken and hadn't thought about it from that perspective, but they are. Mm -hmm. Um, you know, and I, I took my strength finders test about, or evaluation about 12 years ago, and it was overwhelming to me at the time. <laughs> and I just put it on a shelf and ignored it until maybe about five years ago. And I dug it back out and really looked at it and have started to see and embrace how those strengths really are show how, how they really do show through in what I do and what I enjoy doing and what I don't enjoy doing. 
Um, yeah. And I think the, the issue is people are overwhelmed because they don't know. So what now? What? Like, what do I do with this? So they don't realize intuitively that, hey, you can build a story around this to explain what you do better than other people because your talents are unique to you. You can create interview stories with this. You can look at it and say, here's what services I should offer as an entrepreneur. Here's what I, what I should focus on my LinkedIn profile and how I tell my story. There is a lot of practical application, but it's not intuitive and people don't necessarily know what to do with that. So that was what I was focused on is how do I now take this information from the theoretical into the world of the practical? And so how do you feel that having done that experience, have, having created that, how is that, what's that meant to you personally? I mean, are, do you, do you have a greater sense of fulfillment? Is it does it keep you challenged and excited to get up every morning? You know, well, it was a really bittersweet experience, Amy, because I thrust myself into a huge learning curve. So I did not know how to get, get a, a trademark for this intellectual property and, and, um, and the UMAP brand. So I had to go through this process of attorneys and working with the U.S. Patent Office, and, and that was really stressful, and then building these certification programs. But I came from learning and development, so I was used to building things like new hire orientation and associate development uh, training. And so that was, that was my background. So that was, it's almost like everything I had done to that point prepared me for this, but I didn't realize I had this unique talent stack. Everyone has a unique talent stack, but my talent stack was pushing me towards that all of these weird disjointed experiences were not actually disjointed at all. So it was bittersweet because it was really the most stressful year of my life when I was building all of this out. I had the, uh, the background in a lot of the things. So, I mean, I had two master certifications in assessments. So assessments were something I was really familiar with. I have, uh, my background is in neuroscience. So my education had a ton of research rigor in it, which prepared me for the research that I had to do and the testing I had to do with people. So I, experimentation was, was part of my academic foundation. So it was really interesting to use all of these tools I thought I would never use again because I, I didn't pursue neuroscience as a career, but it was really helpful in, in this process. So it was bitter because it was just so much work <laughs> and I was really overwhelmed but it was fulfilling the sweet part to your point. It was fulfilling because I look back and said, wow, like I never would have thought I could have done that. But you know, it's one bite at a time, one day at a time. It's so interesting to me because as you were describing all of that and all of the things that, that you've done in the past that really set yourself up to be successful in where you're at now, that at the time, you didn't see this all coming together. You know, it's and, the- And that's what I see with people all the time. Well, they'll, they'll say to me, I can't do anything else because I've done this, this, or this, or I can't do that because I've only done this. And they don't see the intersection between all of their experiences. So I worked with this woman. I do not coach just for the record, but I, when I used to coach, I worked with this woman who- uh, <laughs> she was a really sharp lady and just a great person, but her confidence was hit because she was waitressing when I met her in a, in an Italian restaurant. And she said, I can't continue to stand on my feet all day. It's not sustainable. As she got older, she had more back problems, knee problems. 
So she said, I, ha I have to do something else. And she had been in fashion, but then 9-11 killed her fashion career because she left New York. And that's where Liz Claiborne and all the places that she was putting together fashion shows. That's what her degree was in, was in like fashion merchandising or something like that. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. So she's like, I had, and then she owned a food truck where she baked cupcakes. She was a really good baker. And she had a brick and mortar store at one point. So she's like, I have this degree in fashion and I know cupcakes. And <laughs> I worked in a restaurant and she's like, I don't know how I'm going to get a job. And I said, you know what you would be great at? I, I looked at her data at her UMAP and I said, you'd be a really good recruiter. That could be, or trainer, that could be your entry point into the corporate world. That's what she wanted to do because all of her strengths were really good at building relationships, identifying talent, um, really being able to build trust with people, uh, and, and, and really understanding like the right people for the right roles. And she did training of people, new hire uh, training when she hired people, uh, whether they were hiring at the restaurant, whether she was hiring for her, her bakery. So she had that training experience. So she ended up getting into recruiting and then she went and did her master's degree in organizational leadership and development, I think. And so now she's breaking into that space but she was just kind of like, well, I'm a waitress. What can I do? But she didn't see all of these unique experiences. She had trained salespeople, for example, when she was working in the fashion industry. So people have difficulty connecting their dots to transferable skills. Right. When you realize that 85% of skills transfer from job to job, if, it doesn't matter if you're influencing people on a, on a manufacturing floor, if you're influencing people on social media, if you're influencing people as a nurse, if you can influence people, that's a skill. If you can mentor, coach, and train people, it doesn't matter if you mentor, coach, and trained in the fashion industry or in, like I said, automotive industry. Training is training and you can train people on the content. Yes, it's nice when people have that background expertise, but it's also nice when people bring a fresh perspective and can look at things with an, a fresh eye. That's exciting for her to, as an outsider looking in at that, you would never intuitively pick up on those things to be a pathway into recruitment and training. But mm -hmm. as you described it, you can, I can totally see how it makes sense. But. Yeah. So I, and, and there's more to it about who, who she was, you know, she's a strategic thinker. She's got relator so she can build connections with anyone. Mm -hmm. doesn't matter if they're young, old, the haves, the have nots, she can, she can build connections with people, which is really important in recruiting. So there was a lot, a long list of things she sure. had that fit it. She didn't, um, which I'm just giving you the reader's digest for the sake of time. Sure. But this is why it's so important to talk to people and say, what do you think my talents are? If you don't want to do an assessment, tell me a story about a time that I made an impact and what was the impact it made. And you can ask 10 people that question from different contexts of your life. You can think about everything you've ever done and list all the things that you really loved and enjoyed doing. And then look at this list of what people say about you and the impact you have and what you do well and the things you really love. And you can start to create a, a possibilities list of what you could do with those things because we're so close to ourselves, we're not objective. 
about right. what we're good at and the value that we bring. So the voice of other people, as well as some reflection on what we've loved and enjoyed can really help. Mm-hmm. How do you think your own, your own, your personal UMAP assessment, how do you use it on a day-to-day basis? How has it influenced your, your growth from when you started UMAP to where you're going now? with it. So because- it's done two things for me. Number one, it's helped reduce guilt. I know in black and white what I'm really good at and what I'm really not good at. And before I used to have like mom guilt because I couldn't consistently put my kids to bed at the same time. When my husband would travel, my kids would go to bed at 7:15, 8:30, 8:05. <laughs> I struggle with consistency. And then I think, what a terrible mother that I can't even put my kids to bed at the right time. And when I looked at my UMAP and saw what I was really, really good at, I started focusing on those things with my kids and asking my husband, hey, would you take over this stuff? And he's, well, I think he might've even said, why don't I just do this stuff? Because he was better at it than me. And rather than focusing on the guilt of why why can't I organize my taxes? Well, as an entrepreneur, like my, um, I, there's a there's a funny uh, show on TV called Black Bo- Black Books, and this guy shows up at his accountant, and he's like, "Here's my records," and he starts taking crumpled paper out of his pockets, and I had to laugh because I'm like, "That's not too far off from me." I'm teasing; it's not that bad, but it's not good either. So we get it together by the end of the year, though. But the point is, it re- reduced a lot of guilt about why am I so terrible at this? Why am I so terrible? And I started focusing on where I excelled, and because I started to have more success when I focused on what I was really great at, it seemed ridiculous to focus and hone in on why can't I brush people's teeth at the same time every day. It seemed a little ridiculous. So the second thing it did was it shaped my business and where I spent my time and the services I offered. So when I started coaching, I would do things like job search strategy and write resumes. I did that at the beginning. Mm -hmm. And I noticed I procrastinated on resumes. And I thought, hmm, I must not like doing this because procrastination is avoidance. Yep. So I did my own UMAP. And I started to look through and everything made so much sense (laughs) of why I hated it. And I said, you need to drink your own Kool-Aid. You need to do what what you tell your clients to do. And you need to not be afraid. And you need to turn clients away who want the things that you think are the bread and butter of your business. Writing the resumes pays the bills, right? You need to be brave. So I started doing the brave thing and turning business away. And I had to have been scary. In the year I did that, I doubled my revenue, turning business away. Wow. Because, yes, because I wasn't draining myself. I mean, I was in a bad spot after I wrote a resume. I was ruined for the rest of the day. I couldn't do anything else because I was burnt out. I was exhausted. I was mentally drained. And I was not doing the things that I was really good at in that time space. So there was an opportunity cost. So when I started focusing on things that were in my zone of genius, which everyone has a zone of genius, it started to get people's attention. They started to say, you need to go to her for this. She can help you figure out this, that, or the other, like, look at, look at your history and like, boom, this is what you could do. Like something I never occurred of. It was like, I was like a genie pulling all these things out of a lamp. Cause I just had a way of being able to see people's future because I have futuristic in my top five and I have strategic and I have ideation. So I generate ideas, strategic, make sure I take the stupid ideas away that won't work 
and I can envision a future and lay the stepping stones. And so I was helping people break out of really miserable situations and showing them what was possible. And then they were doing it and they were landing these jobs. And so I was really good at that. And so they started telling their friends and because people would say to me, how are you able to not write resumes and be a career <laughs> and have a career coaching business? Because when I try to sell the assessments, people are like, oh, I just, I just need the resume. Thanks. And I said, well, because all of your language and your website, all you talk about is resumes. And so people have already made the purchasing decision. So of course you can't talk them out of it. Whereas I, I started to hide recommendations people wrote on LinkedIn about resumes. They're yep. gone. They're off. I removed the service. There was no talk of it. And so I, because if you keep taking business that you hate doing, you'll keep getting referrals for it. If you're good exactly. at it. That's so true. I definitely practice what I preach. My, my UMAP is what I, it governs everything I do and how I spend my time. That's wonderful. When we talked on our initial call to, to find out if this was going to, if we were going to do this conversation today, one of the things that I wrote down was that you didn't know you were creative. And, yeah. and I found that really fascinating because I think, I think creative is a word that has a, has a has a bad rap in a way because we all have our own definition of what we feel creative is and we all downplay what our own creative talents really are and can you tell me a little bit about why you felt you weren't creative or what what prompted you to have that feeling about yourself and how you broke through that so it's interesting because i didn't realize i was a creative until last year. <laughs> Which sounds so funny on the heels of having written four children's books and you know, whatever. Actually, I've written five now, but that one's not out. So what happened was I had a, first of all, a very limited definition of what a creative was. Creatives are people who sculpt and paint and you know those types of things they're they're artists yep the artistic interpretation of creative exactly and then i remember very clearly lila smith did a shakespeare linkedin live where they were going to read people were going to read every one of shakespeare's sonnets and she reached out to me and invited me to read a sonnet and she and i said but it was like creatives were going to be reading the sonnet. So some of them were actors, some of them were singers. So they were different creatives. And I remember saying, but I'm not a creative. Like, it doesn't make sense that I, would, I don't fit in with these people. Why, why would you ask me? And she's like, you, you absolutely are a creative. Why would you say that? And I, I was confused of why she was inviting me because it's for creatives. The second thing that happened around the same time was Diana Nguyen, who's a comedian, an actress. She's the star of Thea and Me, which is a web award-winning web series. She wrote a post and tagged me in it and said, here are some of my favorite creatives. And there was my name at the top of the list. And this was on the heels of what Lila just said. And I'm like, I had this very kind of like, just sort of recoil. And I was why are people calling me creative? <laughs> I was so confused. And it's interesting because I redid my UMAP. I took it again. And my primary career type is called the creator. 
out of the six. And I was like, no, I was really in denial, Amy. It was the weirdest thing. And then I had to ask myself, okay, what are the things I like doing best? I like writing books. I like building training. I like building products like the, the UMAP team and the UMAP youth little assessments for the kiddos. I love doing that. Okay, what is that? It's building things. I like to build things, make Which things. Creating, creating things. <laughs> so here I am, this person who's been assessed since I was 19, who builds assessments, who's walked thousands of people through assessments, not having the self-awareness that I was a creative. And that was the eye-opening thing that even the coaches who are helping people have breakthroughs are not as self-aware as they think they are. I'm not saying every single one. The ones no. who've gone through the journey I went through certainly are, but yeah. But I think it's, I think it's hard to, you know, when you, when you excel at doing something like you do, it's hard to be able to turn it back around and apply it to yourself because you're so close to it that you just think you know it. You just, you just think you're, I'm set. I get this. I understand it. I don't need to, I don't need to take my own assessment and really dive into it and understand what it says about me because I already know who I am and what I'm doing and I'm successful in it. So yeah, but you can't read the label when you're the one inside the jar. I mean, it doesn't matter who you are. So I once was speaking to a coach on the phone and she coaches people um, in career transition. And I said, what are your top talents? Like, what are your strengths? And she had no idea. And she, she did the Clifton strengths with people, but she had never taken it herself. Oh. And I said, aren't you afraid that a client's going to ask you what your strengths are someday? And what are you going to say? I don't know. I've never taken it. Well, why is it important for them to do if you haven't done it yourself? And how do you know what type of coach you are? How yeah. do you know how you're approaching your clients when you don't know what your talents are? I mean, how can you be intentional? How do you know you're providing the right services? Right. It was a really interesting experience. And then I started to find out there were a lot of coaches when I'd say, what are your top strengths? They couldn't remember. And so you're just sort of operating naturally and you will use your talents, but when you know what they are and you're intentional about it, you get much better results. So whether you're the coach or the coachee or whether you're the employee or the leader, or the mom or whoever you are, when you know specifically what your talents are and you can articulate them to other people, it just breaks you through the ceiling to be able to do that because then you can identify opportunities where you can really add a lot of value but you can also articulate how you can add value a lot better than other people. It's an amazing thing to be able, an empowering thing to be able to explain to people exactly who you are and how you add value. And I would imagine that when, when you explain to someone or help someone understand that assessment, there's probably this huge sense of relief that comes to I've that had purpose. i cry. Yeah. They cry and then they apologize. They're crying. 
And I'm so used to people crying that <laughs> it doesn't even phase me. I mean, if they, I, I, I'm happy that there's usually tears of joy, but I don't mean it doesn't phase me from a compassion point of view. It doesn't phase me from a, oh my gosh, I can't believe you're crying, you know? Um, because it's like, well, of course you're crying. Lots of people cry when they realize that they've spent 20 years going against the grain of who they are. And now they have a realization, there's nothing wrong with me, even though my manager keeps telling me I'm useless. It's that emotional release of there's nothing wrong with me. I'm in the wrong place mm -hmm. or I've been in the wrong place. That's really powerful. I had this one woman who cried and then she said to me, you've given me hope for the first time in months because her manager was trying to work her out of the organization. And then she understood exactly why she couldn't be successful there when she really knew who she was. And then it didn't become a personal failure anymore. It was like, well, duh. Of course my feet hurt because I wear a size 10 and I've been walking around a size seven. Right. It's like, it becomes like this, this isn't a problem with me. This is just, I'm planted in the wrong soil. I wish I would have known you about nine years ago. I could have used some of that wisdom. <laughs> well, see, this is why I wrote the children's books because every single adult kept saying, I wish I knew this a long time ago. I wish I knew this when I was a kid. I knew, wish I knew this. And it only takes about 500 people saying, I wish I knew this for your, your brain to click and say, maybe you should help people know this sooner. <laughs> exactly, <laughs> right? Yeah. It took a friend saying to me, Kristen, you need to start providing resources to help children. And I was like, what? I don't work, for, I don't write for children, but yeah, that was a learning curve too. <laughs> well, you figured it out and now you have three, what, four children's books? I have four uh, children's books. I'm working on one uh, right now and, and I'm doing the research for the sixth and I have a, f a middle school series planned to write to start this year. So yeah, it was the first time, it was a humbling experience to write a children's book because I'm like, how hard can this be? Just a couple hundred words and <laughs> this will be easy. And then I got into it and I was just, it's just being able to type what you know uh, from your your years of coaching in a in a book like UMAP was was easy. It was just like, well, this is the process. I just wrote the process that I took people through on sure. discovery through to landing the job, right? Or finding the the business niche if they're entrepreneurs. But then I'm sitting down going, how do I talk to kids? Like, how do I say all these things I just say to 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 an eight year old, to a to a five year old, to a ten year old? And how do I also talk to their mom or dad or grandma, like at the same time, like I'm talking to two different audiences. Exactly. And then I'm like, oh my gosh, how do I say so many things in so little words and using little words and in less words. And I was so overwhelmed. And so I, I it took me much longer to write the first one, but Wendy Gilhula, she does consulting for children's book authors and I got on the phone with her and she really made my life a lot easier. Sometimes when you're taking on a new endeavor, the support of other people can save you a lot of pain and a lot of recreating the wheel. Oh, definitely. And I feel like I I feel like that's what UMAPS does for the people who've taken it is it helps them not have to recreate a bunch of wheels. Yeah. And gets them started down a path that is more aligned with who they are and what they're meant to be. Mm -hmm. Yeah. I mean, it helps, it helps people sort of get a fast forward, right? So it's like, okay, now I'm at a much farther ahead um, standpoint, having this understanding, whether it's the coach 
getting the fast forward on their client or whether it's the client getting a fast forward on themselves. Um, and that was really what I was trying to get at is like, I need to really understand all the goodies about this person <laughs> to really have an informed coaching approach. Cause you, you can make a lot of assumptions about people um, by their personality, for example. So I worked with a client once who was really shy and she was quiet and she had a finance job and I could have really made assumptions about that. Oh, well, she's an introvert. She just wants to sit behind a computer. Uh, but her UMAP, she had all the interpersonal skills were all motivated for her. She liked collaboration and teamwork. Like that was a motivated skill for her. Mm -hmm. But in my mind, without knowing that, just based on her body language and and reading her that way, I would have assumed, oh yeah, she'll be happy to just sit alone behind a computer. And that wasn't the case at all. So it helps remove a lot of assumptions. Yeah. To know who you are. Yeah. It reminds me when I was in, when I was in college, one of my high school classmates went to the same school that I went to for college and a friend of mine met him and came back and she was like, oh, you know him? He's so stuck up. He's so arrogant. He's you know, she just had created all of these ideas in her mind about who he was. And I looked at her and I said, that couldn't be further from the truth. He's quiet. He's shy. Once you get to know him, he's not any of those things anymore. But I can see where he came off that way on your first impression of him. But that's because not who he is read, at all. Yeah, we read and interpret other people's behavior based on what would that mean how, on how we're wired if we acted that way or behaved that way or presented that way. So a good example of that was a woman had said online that if people don't have personal information on their website, they don't think that they're trustworthy. And it's like, no, they're just probably task oriented. <laughs> you know what I mean? So because that person has a very high level of self-disclosure and has the type of personality that's more people oriented than relational oriented that person could have like responsibility as their number one strength which those people are super trustworthy because they're accountable and they do what they say they're going to do but because they were not presenting all of this personal self-disclosure she said they they can't be trusted could you imagine though if that person had responsibility as their number one strength they're like the most trustworthy person exactly yeah we make a lot of assumptions about people because we're looking through the filter of who we are right and that's one of the things i love about self-discovery in general not just umap but the more we understand ourselves it helps us understand other people which can reduce conflict and increase collaboration and understanding which is exactly what happens. All the UMAP coaches always tell me to get along better with their spouse or their kids or because they're looking from a, a fresh perspective at, oh, you're just wired different than me. You're not purposely trying to be a pain in the butt. Yes, that's so true. Because, <laughs> you know, when you do understand how somebody works that you're now having to work with, mm -hmm. you're both going to be much further ahead by just accepting that and not trying to force the other one to do something that's just not in their, it's just not in their fiber to be able to do it that way or to and, follow and suit the way they, that. you want them to. Yeah. And I'll extend that a, a little bit that we create negative connotations on their behavior, but not ours. Like, okay, so this person's really inflexible. 
let's just say that the, let's just say the person has discipline as their top strength. So, and I have adaptability, let's just say they're really rigid and inflexible, but like my adaptability is great. So we look without looking at like, if you had no discipline in corporate America, holy cow, like everything's falling apart. There's such value, but we tend to look at what someone else does as negative. And we expect them to be easy to change. But imagine if we turned the mirror onto ourselves and said, you have to stop being so flexible. Like, could you even do that? Would you even know how? You cannot expect people. And I'm not saying that people can't compensate in some way. You could train someone to ask questions instead of just saying, no, like this is the way we're doing it. Okay, tell me a little bit more about why you'd like to do it this way. Help me understand. You can coach people to respond in a way that the other person feels heard, right? Mm -hmm. But ultimately, you can't expect people to just turn off their sense of accountability, their sense of discipline. When I talk to people who have the strength called woo, winning others over, they love talking to shiny new people, right? Yes, right? And it's like being married and the spouse thinks they're flirting with all the wait staff because they're always so friendly and talking to them. And it's like saying to that person, stop talking to all the, you always talk to like the people at the checkouts and the waitresses and it draws attention to us and it embarrasses me. You need to stop doing that. And now this person who loves meeting new people has to stop talking to them. Can you, can you even imagine what that must feel like? Oh, I, woo is my top strength. Oh, wow. I didn't know that. So number one. Okay. Yes. So woo is my top strength. My husband is, I don't, he's never taken the strength finders, so I'm not sure what it is, what his are, but I can guarantee you that woo is not probably even in his top 10. Um, because he's much quieter, more reserved, and we'll go places pre-pandemic, obviously. We'll right. go places and he'll be like, you know that person? Yeah, I do. And he goes, we can't take you anywhere without you knowing someone. <laughs> we go to the grocery store and he'll say, I'm going to go out. You know, he'll take the, gr- the groceries out to the car. You catch up with me. Or if, like, if it's cold and he, I just need to get one thing, he'll drop me off at the door and I'll run in and get it, right? I'll just go in quick and get it. Well, then I run into somebody. So then I talk for like 10 or 15 minutes and I finally get out to the car and he's like, let me guess, you ran into someone you knew. Yeah, I did. <laughs> Sorry. I know a lot of people. That's just, that's just the way I am. I mean, we went, yeah. we went to Minneapolis to visit friends and we went to a mall that we'd never been to before. I'm sitting in the play court of this mall with my daughter, who she was much younger than, waiting for an, for our friends, and I hear this voice, and I'm like, I recognize that voice. Why do I recognize that voice? I look up; it's my college roommate that I hadn't seen for like 15 years. <laughs> That's Hi. gonna be a long conversation. <laughs> Hi, what are you doing here? <laughs> so yeah, I, I'm I'm very well aware of uh, all of the things that you just said about a person in woo, and and so. It has made the pandemic and having to, you know, be more mindful of being out and about, it's made it very difficult for me. Well, there's a quote that I, that I just absolutely love. That's one thing that I've really learned is not to try to change people. And there's a quote that I love. It's by Charles Glassman. And it says, if you don't think it's nearly impossible to change someone who is not willing to change, just think how hard it is to change yourself and you're willing. 
you gotta let that soak in right yeah that is so good wow <laughs> i think that is that needs to be our wrap up i mean because that's perfect that's that summarizes everything that we have just talked about it really does <laughs> so wow yeah that is that's a very powerful quote i'm gonna have to get that from you so i can add it into the show notes uh, for this episode definitely so kristen thank you so much for your time today i have thoroughly enjoyed our conversation and understanding the path that you took to get to creating UMAPs, which has been tremendously valuable for so many people in helping them achieve career growth and personal growth all across the board, I'm certain of that. So if, if you could give us just one, one more piece of closing advice, what would it be? I think the single most important thing to really achieve your goals besides knowing who you are is to trust that you're resourceful enough to figure it out. Because once you figure out, oh, I could do this, then people let fear stop them. So trust, believe that you will be resourceful enough to either figure it out or to find someone who can help you figure it out. And that belief needs to be combined with the awareness so that you actually move forward and persist and act to accomplish whatever change it is you're trying to reach in your life. That's very powerful too. Thank you so much for that. I appreciate it. So Kristen, I will put links to how to find you and connect with you on the show notes. If you want to go ahead and share that, you can. Otherwise, I can just make sure that they're in there on the um, on the show notes page and I thank yeah, you, you so much for your time. MyUMap.com, M-Y-Y-O-U map.com or connect with me on LinkedIn. Great. Thank you so much for your time. I've really enjoyed our conversation today. Thank you, Amy. This was fun. I appreciate it so much. So the other day, I posted on LinkedIn about my service called the Marketing Director on Call, and I had a person reach out to me and say, hey, I don't know what this is. Can you tell me more about it? So I thought maybe I should tell you about it too. We're all familiar with a physician calling on another physician to help with a patient, right? That physician there calling is on call. My on-call service is the same thing. If you are responsible for marketing but have no one to brainstorm ideas with or have marketing responsibilities as quote, other duties as assigned. Or maybe you are a founder or a business owner who is looking to bootstrap as many business functions as possible until you've grown enough to hire a bigger team. Each of these roles may put you in a position to want to talk to an expert in marketing or branding. And you know what? That's me. And that's where the marketing director on call service is valuable. You drive the agenda, we brainstorm and strategize for an hour, working out an action plan, and you leave with clarity and confidence to make it happen. I'm on call for you. Your second opinion is a phone or now a Zoom call away. Check out the link in the show notes for more information about the marketing director on call service and also how to schedule a discovery call to, to find out if it's the right service for you. I look forward to hearing from you. This has been the Pursuit of Purpose podcast presented by Austin Marketing. 
If you enjoyed the show, please be sure to leave a rating and review on your favorite podcast player. Head over to amyaustinmarketing.com for links and resources mentioned in today's show, as well as ways to subscribe and connect with Amy. Thanks for listening.